Hi Manifestors! Today's video is about how you are one with your desires and how that should make manifesting really easy because all you really have to do is to let go of resistance. I'm also going to introduce a new spiritual concept that's called make your will like God's will for all of those of you who feel unworthy and like you have to do something to deserve or earn your desires. But first, there's one-on-one -on -one coaching and email coaching available on my website, livingwellnesscoaching.com. And there's also a self-paced course for those of you who want to manifest true love, real and lasting love. So, let's get into today's video. Our purpose here, as human beings, is to be like God. And we are one with our desires already. And if we make our will like God's will, God will make his will like your will. That's a spiritual concept. A lot of people are seeking for their purpose here and they're wondering why they're here to begin with. And whatever direction your desires are calling you, that is actually the direction of your purpose. Ultimately, everyone's purpose is to become like God. That is our intention and God's intention. We're told that we are created in the image of God. God is all-powerful and all-loving and so on. We're not told that we're created in the image of, say, animals. Animals operate on a system of instinct and survival. Human beings operate on a system of desires. So we are created as one with our desire. Your dreams, your desires, your hopes, your visions for yourself. You're also one with your interpretation of these desires because you become according to your own interpretations. That is, your assumptions about yourself. This is why it's called the law of assumption. Your purpose is always to realize your own divinity. That is everyone's purpose. So, Know that the animals are created with survival instincts and you are created with desires, hopes, and dreams. This is how you are created in the image of God. Now, sometimes people hear um, concepts like you shouldn't have any desires or desires is the cause of all suffering. This is by way of Buddhism. This is a really misunderstood concept. And if you add this interpretation of your desires, then you're adding a layer of guilt for even having desires. You're adding that layer of guilt on top of already feeling a sense of separation and uh, a sense of powerlessness. So separation and powerlessness is not being like God. So we want to be more like God. Adding guilt on top of our uh, true nature is actually kind of the opposite of manifesting because manifesting is about adding love on top of everything, including offenses. Love covers all transgressions, as they say. The reason for that saying is because that is the direction of realizing our divinity, of realizing our God Self. Love covers all transgressions is the path to becoming like God. Guilt does not take us that way. Now, the thing is whether you should or shouldn't have a desire is totally irrelevant because everyone has different things that they want, different things that they hope for or dream of. You have desires. End of story. Everyone does. We have these desires for a reason. And that reason is to coax ourselves back 
to our harmonious source, oneness. We are created in the image of God, not in the image of animals. Some people call the harmonious realization of this oneness enlightenment. But I'll steer away from that term for our purposes, because people might start chasing enlightenment as if it's just another experience to have, or like a drug trip to have, and it is not. It is just who we truly are. So how are you already one with your desire, and how is it equal to your purpose here? I want you to start thinking in these ways. The root of this understanding that we're one with our desire is, again, oneness. And if oneness is all, then your desire can't be separate from you. If it is, then oneness doesn't exist. The idea of not desiring actually comes from the shift that you make to a before and after situation. Before you have your desire, you desire, and after you have it, you no longer desire it. That's all. For example, first you are hungry, you desire to eat, and then you eat. And you're not hungry, so you don't desire food. It's the fulfillment of the desire. After the fulfillment, there is satisfaction. Now, it's a momentary satisfaction, of course, and the reason why is because we quickly desire something else. And again, this is how we are created in the image of God, to bring us back to one source. If you desire a career move upwards after you have it, you'll develop another desire for something else. Maybe an experience. Maybe you will desire more freedom. Maybe you'll start to develop a desire for greater joy or for experiencing love in your life. And so on. It is our path forward in life. And our way of separating ourselves from our basic biological nature is the opposite of going forward in life. Our desire is an anchoring point into our biological nature. Spiritual traditions try to illustrate this with a divine masculine and a divine feminine like Shiva and Shakti. Shiva representing consciousness and Shakti representing the uh, interplay of consciousness into a biological body. So the desire is an anchoring point from oneness consciousness into our nature. It's like a light that is shining through into your heart and into your mind. So from now on, think of your desire as simultaneously your true self and your purpose, as simply as one with you. Neville Goddard's teachings are kind of a light version of all these esoteric and scientific and spiritual teachings that date back thousands of years, but Neville Goddard's boiled down version um, is really encapsulating the essence of this one consciousness. It is out there front and center in even his teachings. He says, The awareness of being as God is stated hundreds of times in the New Testament, to name but a few. I am the shepherd. I am the door. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way. I am the alpha and the omega. I am the beginning and the end. And again, whom do you say that I am? Now, it doesn't say, I, Jesus, is the door. It doesn't say, I, Jesus, is the way. Nor is it said, whom do you say that I, Jesus, am? It's clearly stated, I am the way. The awareness of being is the door through which manifestation of life pass into the world of form. Consciousness is the resurrecting power, resurrecting that which man is conscious of being. 
Man is ever outpicturing that which he is conscious of being. This is the truth that makes man free, for man is always self-imprisoned or self-freed. If you, the reader, will give up all of your former beliefs in a God apart from yourself and claim God as your awareness of being, as Jesus and the prophets did, you will transform your world with a realization that I and my Father are one. This statement, I and my Father are one, but my Father is greater than I, seems very confusing, but if interpreted in the light of what we have just said concerning the identity of God, you will find it very revealing. Consciousness being God is as Father, and the thing that you are conscious of being is the Son. Bearing witness of his Father, it is like the conceiver and its conception. The conceiver is greater than its conception, yet it remains as one with its conception. For instance, before you are conscious of being man, you are first conscious of being and then you become conscious of being man, yet you remain as conceiver, greater than your conception, a man. That's from Neville Goddard's At Your Command. That's one of Neville Goddard's first books, and it's also pretty short. I have it recorded on my uh, Living Wellness Neville Goddard only channel, and uh, you should listen to it if you haven't. It's a great book. Now, in the Bible we're told that we're all sons of God. Or daughters, sons or daughters, so we can know that we are on equal footing with Jesus that's in the Bible. And here Neville explains that we are also one and the same as the Father. I and the Father are one, but the Father is greater. And that in fact the Father in the Bible represents our own consciousness. So that means that one consciousness can also be expressed as I am God. This means that the entirety of creation exists potentially only in our consciousness. And then the question becomes, what do you want to express as part of your own experience? If all that is, is your mind expressing your consciousness and what you are conscious of being, then why don't you choose to be conscious of being exactly what you want? Is it true? That there are a lot of experience out there in the world, including that which we don't desire? Sure, yes it is. So, why are those experiences happening if we don't want them? The reason is because we accept them as true. You don't have to accept anything as true that you're not fully happy with. You can imagine, for example, that right now that there are many regimes in the world that you don't live under, like communism or fascism. These things are real, and yet you do understand that you're not obligated to participate in that experience. Now, the sifting and sorting of experiences that we like and don't like, that's part of how we approve or deny of our own world of circumstances. Our free will gives us everything that we need to deny the unwanted circumstances. Our free will gives us everything we need to have in order to deny unwanted life experiences. But they seem so real, you say. We fall for the illusion. Neville Goddard says, To accept only what is lovely, meaning give your attention only to what you desire and put blinders on for everything else. There's actually no other way for us to return to the Garden of Eden, meaning to live out 
an experience that is purely happy, pleasurable, and easy, and lovely. This denying of things that are wrong in the world sounds wrong to people who are taught to physically go out there and fight for justice and to be the change in the world through action. But the fight for justice goes nowhere if we don't change the contents of our conscious experience first. And if we don't possess the knowledge of these spiritual and scientific concepts, we produce the conscious awareness of having to fight, just the same as we possess the conscious awareness of being at peace. We possess the conscious awareness of being rejected, just the same as we possess the conscious awareness of being loved and of being chosen. We can choose the awareness of being adored, loved, chosen, and the happy star of our own life, just as much as we can choose to be the one who has the experience of being not good enough or never chosen, not worthy, and so on. An assumption that there is something that we're up against is what manifests the circumstances of having something to fight in the first place. Uh, yeah, I know those circumstances existed before you came into the world, but remember, you're created in the image of God. So you're here to become like God, not like an animal. So our personality plays a huge role in this, and an ability to resist the temptation to fix everything will help. If you have this fix-the-world mentality, or you love fixer-uppers, or you want to fix other people, or you want to fix your specific person, then begin with putting on blinders to all faults in the world and declare them as good. Create an assumption that everything works out perfectly without your interference. Think instead that every time you let things work out on their own, it fixes itself much faster. In one way, we're just a hologram outpictured by the one consciousness. And without that one consciousness, we don't even exist. Consciousness exists, always, in undiminished form. And sometimes we interpret words like becoming more aware or achieving greater levels of consciousness as something that is a distance away from us or something that we can accomplish in the future. Like if I meditate for five years, then I'll stand a chance at higher consciousness. But in actuality, it is always present in unchanging measure. There is one thing and one thing only that changes, and that is our physical senses and how they receive or perceive the light of this uh, projector of consciousness. Say, how we pick up on the sound of the radio tower. It is like consciousness is blowing air into a wooden flute, and we are the notes that emerge from the holes, the sound of the note. We are inseparable from this air, this prana, this life force, and we cannot exist without it. We don't exactly become enlightened. We already are enlightened, but our receivers, our senses, are filtering most of the content out. We are created this way to uh, function as three-dimensional beings, but other beings are created to function entirely different from us, and still they too are sustained by the exact same consciousness. 
our third eye has the capacity to transmit a greater amount of this consciousness, but most people use their other senses instead, so they don't notice their third eye. The light of consciousness shines on everyone and everything alike, but our density of form varies, so we don't all have the ability to notice this. A human's ability to experience consciousness is different from a tree or a rock or an angel, if you believe in those, but consciousness does not change. Either way, the way a human being can become more aware is to follow their bliss. This doesn't require any particular understanding. It just means to follow your joy, to follow your heart, your heart's desire. To follow your joy, you cannot simultaneously follow your urges to fix everything that is broken. Now, the reason why people who don't even try to get things do get things that you strive so hard for is that everything is already yours. And sometimes the harder we try, the more we put a block into the natural flow of things. Sometimes when people are manifesting or using manifesting techniques, they're actually just creating delays because they're trying so hard and it's better to just let go entirely. Your desire is already yours. You don't have to do anything. The intention technique works best for people who have a tendency to try too hard. Just exclaim your intention and then let go, fully let go. Neville Goddard says, you cannot serve two masters or opposing states of consciousness at the same time. Taking your attention from one state and placing it upon the other, you die to the one from which you have taken it, and you live and express the one with which you are united. Man cannot see how it would be possible to express that which he desires to be by so simple a law as assuming the consciousness of the thing desired. Neville Goddard so how do you bridge this gap of continuously falling for the illusion of separation to experience this bliss, power, love, and clarity of the oneness? You actually have an unbreakable core bond with God, with co consciousness, with this oneness. Even if you're not able to experience this oneness at this time, that core bond still is there and it reveals itself in the form of your desires. It is the light of consciousness shining through Grab out to that light. It will take you there. The light is shining on your joy, on your relief, on your acceptance, or whatever emotion that is a little bit better than where you are at the moment. It is like a road sign that has been put up for you to follow. So to summarize this, you do not have to actually raise your consciousness. It is already raised. You don't have to do anything but to move in the direction of feeling better. You can have a lot of material luxury or physical wealth. It makes no difference to how the light of consciousness shines on you. It is always constant. You can have nothing. It has nothing to do with how the light of consciousness is expressed through you. Your greatest joy is a rope in the darkness. The fact that your greatest joy is your transcendence means that you are now allowed to follow it. There's no amount of negativity in you and no amount of anxiety or fear that can block out the light of consciousness. It is always penetrating to every cell and every neuron and every fiber of your being. If we're totally open to this light, immediately from a place where you're standing, you're going to feel like you've had an electric shock or something or an epileptic seizure. 
Abraham Hicks talks a lot about how it feels almost ecstatic, like an electric shock when you just let this greatest joy in. In the Bible, Abraham is the one symbolizing the light of consciousness, and his wife Sarah is the one symbolizing the contraction or concentration into the physical form that that receives the light. These two coexist always. Sometimes we don't believe that we deserve to be happy or that we're not worthy. Years ago, I was listening to my pastor give a sermon, and he told a parable, a story that is called The Monkey and the Jar Trap. He was using this to illustrate what he saw in uh, drug addicts and uh, alcoholics when he was working in a treatment facility. He was also using this to explain that this is what happens when we don't really let go and let God as the saying goes, this is the parable of the monkey jar trap. In Southeast Asia, years ago, someone developed an ingenious method to catch monkeys alive and unharmed. I don't really know why they were catching monkeys, but never mind. The monkey trap that they developed was very simple. The hunter would take a pot with a wide bottom and a narrow opening at the top, and he would bury the pot into the ground where the opening of the jar was the only one stick, only thing sticking out just above the ground. In the jar, the hunter would then put a piece of fruit or a nut. And then, out of hunger or curiosity, the monkey would reach inside and grab a hold of the treat. And as the monkey then tried to pull the treat out of the jar, he finds that his fist full of food doesn't fit through the narrow opening of the jar. Then the monkey, excited and also frustrated, screams as he continues to hold on to his food, but he refuses to let go of it. The monkey even sees the hunter approaching, but instead of letting go of the food, he holds on tighter and tries harder to dislodge his arm and the treat from the jar. As people, we behave this way with our desires. When we don't believe that we can have them, we hold on too tightly when really letting go would even save our life. See, freedom is already true for the monkey, but he holds on to the one thing that will keep him trapped. We are the same. We hold on to things that keep us trapped in separation all the time, while freedom is right there. We hold on to things like unworthiness and undeservingness, bitterness, fear, and anger, or grudges. Holding on tightly to our beliefs in potential loss uh, prevents our desires from willingly entering into our life automatically. Because the identity of the version of us that has the desire is different from the identity of the version of us that thinks that you don't have it. So you have to chase it. You have to hunt it down. You have to hold on to it or put your foot on the neck of your desire and so on. But you don't need to do anything. You just need to consider it natural and normal that you should have what you now desire. The energy of chasing or holding on is very opposite of the energy of simply receiving or having. You are the star of your own show. You came here for the sole purpose of creating your best experience, one that pleases you to no end. You're not here to pay off a debt or to suffer or to pay your karma. All of that is nonsense taught by people who misunderstand spirituality. You're here to overcome all of that. Karma is nothing other than what we call subconscious programming, and overcoming our autopilot subconscious program is exactly what LOA is.
using our free will to create, rather than to unconsciously create as if on autopilot. Whatever unconscious program we are operating on before we learn about the law of assumption is like a tunnel. And we have tunnel vision. We can see nothing else. But whether that tunnel is the tunnel of a villain or a hero, it is still a tunnel vision. If it's the tunnel of a pacifist or a dictator, it's irrelevant from the perspective of oneness because we are here to overcome tunnel vision, to overcome false beliefs, regardless of what those false beliefs are. Every breath that you take is supporting the life of your own body, not somebody else's body. Every beat of your heart is beating just for you. If your identity is that of a person who has to pay some mysterious debt until you're good enough, until you're worthy, it is as if you believe that your breath and your heartbeat is supporting somebody else's body, like your neighbor's. You're here for your own experience. And there isn't a single thing that you have to do to become worthy, because you're already worthy. You don't have to pay a karmic debt for your breath to be absorbed by your lungs or for your heart to beat. Rather, you have to overcome the tunnel vision of beliefs that keep you in a state of separation. The idea of unworthiness is as flawed as if I told you that you have to pay before your heart will beat its next beat. So the reason why it seems like there's something that you have to do before you get your desire is because you have taken on an identity of someone who is not worthy or chosen or not good enough. And the matching vibration is an experience that reveals that life experience of rejection. Tunnel vision. Whatever reality tunnel you are living in, it is not the truth as one consciousness. It is an artificial reality that creates further beliefs in separateness. If you want to become one with your desire, you have to decide that you are the most important person in your life and that that is a given. It's a given from the fact that you are living and breathing. By definition, nothing about you sustains the life of another, not your neighbor's. Your kidney is not cleaning the body of your neighbor's body, just yours. You are the one who is producing this show, nobody else. If you're struggling with a pervasive sense of unworthiness, think about your life and notice some areas where you're chosen. If your friends Nobody's forcing them to be friends with you. If you have or had a boyfriend or girlfriend before, nobody forced them to be with you. They woke up every day of your relationship and chose you again and again. If you have a job, that employer is choosing you. Nobody's forcing them to choose you. Find examples where you're chosen and feel the relief of noticing that these people and these situations are choosing you out of their free will. Think of your breath. Your breath is choosing you every moment. You don't choose your breath. It chooses you. You might have got chosen by a pet if you adopted a stray or went to the pound. You are actually chosen to have every single one of your desires. And you just have to say yes to that desire or to those desires. Just like when adopting a pet, you have to say yes for you to take it home with you. Just the same, you have to say yes to your desires. But all your desires are just one yes away. And you do not have to force the desire into your life. It is already yours, if you say yes. 
You're created by a perfectionist, God. He didn't make any mistakes when you were made. And you are a perfect match for your desired career or for the love that you're dreaming of. Whatever it is, you are already a perfect match for your desire. And it is just you who can push it away for as long as you think that you have to wrestle it to the ground for some reason. Be still and become magnetic to what is already meant for you. Now, your desires are specifically yours. There's a story in the Bible of Isaac and of how his wife was manifested. This was a specific person, a specific wife, not just any wife. This wife had to fulfill many specific requirements and important requirements. And why not? We all have our own specifics, specific things that we feel are essential. This wife would have to leave her home country and join Isaac in his, and more, she had to be a distant relative of Isaac's. This sounds weird to us, but this was in order to keep the Jewish lineage intact. So she had to be a relative, but distant enough, of course, that it wasn't a problem. So she had to be from a specific country. She had to move. She couldn't genetically be from that country, on and on and on, specific things. So... In order for Isaac to find this perfect wife somewhere out there in this specific country, a highly trusted servant was sent to travel all the way to that country, to the distant relatives, and to find a wife there for Isaac. I'm not going to read you the whole story. This chapter is the longest story in the book of Genesis, and it's devoted entirely to finding a specific wife for Isaac. That's how important a specific person is, clearly being specific is important. You can be as specific as you want. Well, moreover, a request was made that the servant should instantly recognize the right person by way of divine signs. You see, you can throw in anything that is right for you into your manifestation. After all, this is your life we are talking about. Why would you not make your manifestation perfectly tailor-made for you? And why not make the direction of your desires specifically and easily recognizable as yours when you find them? I only wish all people were taught that we can do this, and this is inherently our birthright. To live as authentically as we can, and to not doubt in our heart's desire. There are some things that take a long time to manifest, and it's easy to get discouraged when things take a long time, especially if you watched a lot of videos that tell you that everything should manifest instantly, or something is wrong with you, but everything has its own appointed hour, and there are different things that take a different amount of time, and there's no reason to get discouraged if you have manifested a time delay. There's a story of Joseph in the Bible and of his dreams and his destiny that illustrates both time delays and bridge of events and how it is of no importance. In the story of Joseph, he had prophetic dreams at night. I think everyone knows the story of Joseph and his prophetic dreams. One example of his dreams were as follows. We, meaning him and his brothers, who hated him out of jealousy were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Now, for our purposes, night dreams have the same meaning as the desires within you, namely, whatever interpretation you give it. We are meaning makers. This story about Joseph and his jealous brothers 
also explains how a mirror maker can function in our life. A mirror maker is anyone outside of ourselves who we choose to believe in. It could be our circumstances. It can be a psychic. It can be a religious leader. It can be basically anything outside of ourselves that we allow to shape our own reality outside of ourselves. In Joseph's case, it was his jealous brothers that helped to create the meanings for Joseph. Joseph's brothers were crazy jealous of him. And every time that Joseph told them another one of his dreams, they got more and more jealous since they interpreted the dream to mean that Joseph would rule over them. Now, in reality, we have a choice of how to interpret and how to declare meaning. We actually have the power to declare any meaning we want, both to our night dreams as much as we do to our dreams and our heart's desire. We can accept or deny anything outside of ourselves. The meaning-making rests in the hands of our own minds. So when Joseph told them about his dreams, they were so jealous and they were scared that he would rule over them as a king. They created this reality, both for themselves and for Joseph, who accepted this as reality. Eventually, they sold him to Egyptians who were traveling through. And then they told their father that Joseph had been attacked and eaten by a wild animal. Eventually, Joseph was sold once again. This time, he was sold to Potiphar. Potiphar is one of the Pharaoh's officials. He was the captain of the guard. Long story short, Potiphar's wife eventually tried to seduce Joseph unsuccessfully. And after she made false accusations against him, he was imprisoned. Things really just seemed to get worse and worse for Joseph. But due to his ability to interpret the Pharaoh's dreams or to function as a mirror maker for the Pharaoh, he was eventually made governor of Egypt. And then he wisely rationed the country's produce in preparation for a time of famine. In other words, the whole country did not starve to death because of Joseph. During this famine, his brothers came to Egypt to plead with Joseph for supplies, but they didn't know it was Joseph, and they didn't recognize him. But after Joseph was satisfied that his brothers had changed their ways, he revealed to them who he was. And then Joseph invited his father and his brothers to come and settle in Egypt. Now, throughout this whole drama, Joseph is actually unfazed and completely aligned with his power, his love, and his clarity. Everyone else around him is freaking out and reacting to circumstances. Joseph is the only one who stands in his power. Chances are that you're not going to face circumstances on that level of this story. But regardless, the ability to stay calm, cool, and collected through a particularly dark-seeming bridge of events is what separates the wheat from the chaff. So how long did it take for Joseph to rule? At least a decade, maybe more. If it is your desire, whatever time it takes is worth it. So aside from time delay and crazy bridge of events, there are a couple more points that are revealed in this story. Number one is that the universe is always working to produce the fulfillment of your heart's desire and your purpose. It is always at work, even when it seems like the opposite. And if you trust, even through the worst bridge of events, it comes to you. Should you choose to rise above every circumstance with an attitude of gratitude, you see, love covers all transgressions. 
Another point made is that even if other people seem to be hellbent on your demise, it will still work out perfectly for you, for your benefit. Whatever bad they do will work out in your benefit. So don't get hung up on the details of the ill will of people or circumstances. It is still meant for your success. It might look like an evil plan, but it's still leading you straight to your greatest good. So the other point that I want to make with this whole podcast is also that God's desire is identical as our own desire because we're one consciousness. So even if we're totally unconscious or unawakened, we still have access to our divinity by the way of the dream that we have for our life. It's an unstoppable dream. It will be manifested by grace, independent of circumstances. Unless we choose to become apathetic to our own dream or something like that. If you make God's will your will, God will make your will his will. Because we are one and the same. I am God. This statement is part and parcel of the law of assumption. It's not always easy to grasp, and if you can't, just don't worry. It's a process. You don't have to understand this for it to work, for the law to work. You might not know exactly how your microwave oven works, but you can still put cold food in there, and you can turn the dial, and you get hot food to come out. The law works the same. It works even if you don't understand it. You are one with your desire even if you don't understand how. Our minds can't always understand everything. We make the mistake of thinking that we can figure everything out and that somehow it's relevant for our manifestation, but it actually isn't. Even the most brilliant mind cannot make a miracle. Creation at its most minute detail is an atomic fusion, and this we cannot do, and we don't have to. The mind is dual. It is a function of the biological body, and as such, it's not really capable of fully understanding the final piece of the puzzle any more than, let's say, an eye can see itself. And it doesn't have to. The consciousness is the observer in you, and it's also the observer of the universe. It is the one observer in all. There is one consciousness only. This is also the missing link in Einstein's theory of relativity of the time-space continuum where time and space are dependent on each other and time and space is relative to one another. The conscious observer is a third entity that science is probably just about to discover. Anyway, Neville Goddard says, All things, when they are admitted, are made manifest by the light, for everything that is made manifest is light. The light is consciousness. Consciousness is one, manifesting in legions of forms of levels of consciousness. Neville Goddard. Swami Veda Bharati says, Causes do not put the nature into motion. Only the removal of obstacles takes place through them. What these quotes mean is that there is nothing that you, yourself, can truly do except for removing the obstacles that your minds create. It's like a preparatory work. And once you've done that, consciousness flows. The light is consciousness. Consciousness is one manifesting in legions of form of levels of consciousness, as Neville said. Understand that it isn't you who have to flow the consciousness, because it's already flowing. Our disbelief is the obstacle. Our doubts are the obstacle. Our ruminating thoughts are the obstacle. Even our problem-solving 
is the obstacle. And why is that? Because there is no problem. And insisting on solving the problem puts the obstacle there, squarely in place. The problem was already solved. I express this as doership. Let go of the doership. We misjudge the divinity of all things that we think of as bad, as if some things were excluded from this law of oneness. And so this judgment upholds the existence of exactly everything that you judge. Remove your judgment and give a blessing instead. Give gratitude instead and watch the so-called problem dissolve. When we judge our desires as bad, or when we accept others' judgment of us as bad and our desires as bad, or if we judge other people's desires as lesser or materialistic or evil even, or too shallow, then we are the ones who are upholding that manifestation of exactly what we don't want. Blessing everything that we judge or fear is a big step for most humans. It seems counterintuitive to do that, but eventually it's a step, step that everyone will learn how to take. For example, if Joseph's brothers had not acted the way they did, then Joseph's dream would not have come true. Or it would have found an alternate roundabout way of fulfilling itself. Joseph continued to bless his brothers and to give gratitude throughout his decades-long drama. When so-called evil happens to you, do you thank God, the Creator, or Consciousness, or Universe for advancing you towards your dream? Or do you curse the events? Or do you go into an immediate state of anxiety or anger? So now we have learned that our desires are part and parcel of the One Consciousness. Neville Goddard talks about the realization of the Christ within, which he calls the human imagination. He says, Jesus Christ is not a man. He is not a person, but God's plan of redemption, which must be discovered and understood. To enter this world, one must wear a body of flesh and blood. Yet we are told that flesh and blood cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. It takes a spiritual body to enter that kingdom, and my words are spirit. If I tell you a story that many in this audience have experienced and you accept it, you too will experience the truth that will set you free. No man can set you free. This man, called Neville, is simply an agent expressing truth. It is not good enough for you to just understand it. You must believe it. Not believe in Neville, but believe in the truth that he is expressing from this platform and his books. If I lie and you believe what I say, then you can't prove it, and you will remain a slave. Basically, Neville is challenging us to go out there and test it for ourselves, and we can prove that it's true. Neville goes on to say, I'm telling you what I have experienced, so I can't lie. Jesus Christ, God's story of salvation has been fulfilled in me. I have experienced the birth, the discovery of God. He also says that the majority of the people of the world will not accept my story, for they want a person on the outside as their personal savior. He goes on to say, to know yourself is the only thing that you need to manifest anything. To attempt to change circumstances before you change your imaginal activity is to struggle against the very nature of things. There can be no outer change until there is a final imaginal change. Everything you do, unaccompanied by an imaginal change, is but a futile readjustment of surfaces. So, 
The only thing that differs between us all is our particular desires. It's really just the level of awareness or amount of self-awareness, our self-understanding that we have reached that varies amongst us. In reality, that's the only thing that varies, our level of conscious awareness and to what degree we understand ourselves. Our imaginal activities is generated by our interpretation of our desires, amongst other things. So if you want love, but your interpretation of this is negative, or that you're not good enough right now because you're overweight, for example, then you are automatically imagining that you won't get what you desire. An inner readjustment of your interpretation is the fastest way to open up the floodgates to receiving your desires. Every individual has the capacity to see the return of the Christ, as Neville puts it. So can you realize your own Christ within? Of course. The path is toward your desire and away from the duality of the mind. It's a continuous self-correction. Your mind throws in doubts and you self-correct and deny the doubt. That's it. Again and again. We are created in God's image, so we are distinctly different from other species. We're not created in the image of animals. We are like God, and our will happens to be identical to God's will. But initially, we identify as one of the animals, that is, we identify more with our biological creature. Just flesh and blood. But since we're created in the image of God, we become like God the more we act like God and the less we act like an animal. So we have to learn how to identify as divine, and not just as biological. Our desires are both divine in nature and biological in nature. The way we become God is by using our free will to align our will with God's will, to align with our consciousness. So this is actually easy, but we're not about this at all. So before we hear about this, we are more or less aligned with our biology only. And we're driven kind of by our animalistic desires. We kind of strongly identify with our bodies and our minds, and we believe that we can do things on our own. The day that we begin to identify with the observing consciousness within we understand that there's not one single thing that we can do, that all things are done by God, by the one consciousness, by the universe. And our only accomplishment when we try to interfere is a delay in God's work. In short, we push miracles away the more we try to do on our own. Imagine this. Every single time that you inhale, oxygen molecules enter your lungs and every oxygen molecule reaches the walls of your lungs and they get picked up by four iron atoms in the blood vessels and they form hemoglobin molecules. This is the breath. This is our prana, our life. This molecular exchange, it gives us life a little bit longer. Do you think that you have to make this happen? Can you make this happen? Just like you can do nothing to make this happen. There isn't a single thing in the universe that you can make happen on a molecular level. We are not the doers. We are not here to be problem solvers. We are not the molecule exchangers. All we can really do is to relax and let the next breath come. We can just focus on the solution. 
because the problems are already solved. We're here to learn how to trust that the problems are solved and to dwell in the pleasure of the fulfillment of our dreams. You don't have to be anxious or fearful or judgmental of the oxygen uptake of your blood. And you don't have to be anxious about the perfect well-being of your life either. In so many ways, all ancient scriptures tell us about this, to leave our cares to God and feel free to give any name to God that works for you. The trouble is that we don't fully let go of trying to solve our problems, just a little bit maybe, but not fully. So we don't let the solution come in. The more we can let go, the bigger the miracle will be. We try to let go, but most often we don't fully. And as long as we keep on trying, God cannot really fully work his miracle. You can imagine it as if you are a little child and you have a desire for something. And your mother knows this because she knows you fully and she loves you. She's going to give you your desire. She's going to give you what you want because she loves you. Let's say your desire is for ice cream. There's one waiting for you in the freezer. Your mom has, she has planned all along to give you this ice cream after you're done with your dinner. This is why she bought the ice cream in the first place. But you are trying in all your childish ways to get the ice cream. You're begging her, please, please, please. You're even trying to sneak to the freezer on your own to take it. In your childish ways, you are just hampering your mother's work. Maybe she's cooking dinner, but now she's interrupted with your constant begging. And then she has to prevent you from getting into the freezer on your own. All of your actions are simply delaying your ice cream. She was going to give you ice cream all along, and you will still get it. But now it's taking a little bit longer. All because of your actions. God is waiting to give you everything that you came here for. But you're out there on your own thinking that you have to get it. You have to work harder. You have to steal it like a thief in the night. It's yours already. It was always yours. If you can just chill and let God deliver it, you'll be not only fulfilled, but you'll be so comforted that you are safe in God's or the universe's loving care. Imagine yourself as this little toddler who has accepted that his mother loves him through and through and that he can comfortably wait for the ice cream, and that he can eat his dinner first. Be sure that the ice cream comes trust. Trust and surrender are the final steps to manifesting. When you are finally able to put absolute blind trust in God, you will be given everything because you are one with your desires. Make your will like God's will, and God will make his will like your will. Make your will like your mother's and you will have the ice cream. Her will for you is identical to your will because she loves you. When you childishly have to do things or have to have things in the way that you want, you delay God's work. You delay your manifestation. God will do it in his way and it's always a perfect way. Or you can imagine that you're sick and you have to go to the doctor, but once you get to the doctor, you don't want to hear what the doctor has to tell you, but you want to tell him what your cure should be. It's the same way when we try to finagle our manifestations. You have to choose either you do the path your way or you do the path God's way. Your will is God's will, and God's will is your will because you're one and the same, but God's way is the fastest and best path there. You don't have to be anxious or fearful. The only one who doesn't know the how is you. 
The consciousness already knows the how and has a perfect path ready for you already, but you have to choose to close your eyes to your own path. You have to trust and surrender blindly. If you're trusting in your human power, or even worse, if you're trusting in other people, yes, you can fail again and again, but let go and trust God's path and you cannot fail. Remember, you don't have to finagle the molecular exchange in your lung walls. You just blindly trust that it will happen. Not a single thinker or philosopher has ever created a miracle. There is no mind that is so brilliant that it can create the grace that is equal to receiving what you are not worthy of. Only God or universe can do this. You can try to figure things out. You can try to manipulate and finagle things into place. But all you accomplish is a time delay. And all you can really accomplish is the cause and effect of the natural world. But God is supernatural. Only God can cause grace. This is the idea of an undeserved gift of love. Because actually we're all undeserving. But it doesn't mean anything. When you let yourself create your dream in your heart and your mind and you blindly trust that the way there is already created and you can finally abandon your anxious plotting and leave that behind and you just open your eyes to God's God-given path, it just opens up for you by grace. Walk that path. This is a path that Neville calls the bridge of events and you don't know what it looks like. It can look like the wrong path to you. But walk with confidence and keep thanking God for fulfilling your desire. An attitude of gratitude. So grace, what is grace? Neville talks about grace, this undeserved gift and the fulfillment of your desires in his Grace versus Law lecture. He says, And these three parts mark the great gift called in the Bible, grace. An unearned unmerited gift. No one in this world is good enough to earn it. Therefore, for we all will get it. God actually expresses to man a mercy with which man is incapable with his conscience of ever judging himself as worthy of redeeming. No man in this world with conscience and memory could ever judge himself as merciful as God does. So, the time that you have spent judging yourself or feeling unworthy can end here and now because you manifest regardless of how you judge yourself. If you're feeling unworthy, you can just accept that and say to yourself that manifestation is above all that and in no way affects anything. And on a large scale, we are all unworthy anyway. Neville also talks about the delay that we cause when we choose to put our trust in our own abilities rather than in, let's say, praying or imagining or placing our trust in God or universe, remembering that it delivers every time. Neville says, now we are told that we could delay it. That is why I find it difficult to believe that, but it's still in the scripture in the fourth chapter of the book of Hebrews. And the good news preached unto us was also preached unto them, but it did not benefit them because it was not mixed with faith in the hearer. Now tonight, some of you could reject it, and that may appear on the surface to delay your calling, and it may, I don't know. I have no assurance that you could delay it, but it would appear that rejection on the part of one because he heard it and did not accept it.
because it didn't make sense to him. Therefore, he rejected it. And I tell you, those who reject it, and maybe by your rejection, you delay your call. But eventually, you're going to be called because he'll put you through all the places of the world until you finally have no power to reject the story when you hear it. Neville Goddard Remember, again, the example of the mother who always intended to give her child exactly what he wanted, the ice cream. He just put her through some extra work before she was able to give it to him. And he did this by his own doubt that his mother was already planning on giving his ice cream. When you're able to say no to the illusion, when you're able to reject your own doubt and place your trust in one consciousness, it is like you unlock another level of a video game. Your flow opens up and you're immediately leveled up or elevated to a new consciousness level. And this light of consciousness is revealed to you in a greater way. More trust is received by you and new desires form. Now they're a little more sophisticated than before, perhaps. Maybe more altruistic. You might have started to see other people as yourself or close to it. Every time you trust in the love of the creator, you level up. This is equal to what people call a quantum jump. But at no time are you so far removed from the light of the one consciousness that you cannot see a little tiny sparkle of light shining through in the form of a desire or a wish or a hope or a dream. Divine imagining and human imagining are not two powers at all, rather one. The valid distinction exists between the seeming two lies, not in the substance with which they operate, but in the degree of intensity of the operant power itself. Neville Goddard You understand this when you have shifted states at least once and gone from one version of yourself and your world to another. Your trust increases every time and the intensity with which you dare to dream without casting doubts increases, creating the imaginal scene completely free of doubts or questions of how this could possibly come to pass without any fear of disappointment increases every time that you have a success story of your own. Neville Goddard says also that everything in the world owes its character to imagination on one of its various levels. Objective reality is solely produced through imagination. Objects seem so independent of our perception of them that we tend to forget that they owe their origin to our imagination. Neville Goddard You are one with your desire, your dreams and your visions of yourself, and you are one with your interpretation of your desires. Your purpose is to realize your divinity, so also your oneness with all. And we accomplish this by daring to believe in our dream. The little kid who causes trouble before he gets his ice cream is imagining all the ways in which he can get the ice cream. He imagines if he cries and begs, he might get it. He imagines if he sneaks to the freezer, he'll get it. And he imagines that he has to take it or he won't get it. At the end of the day, he was creating out of his imagination, but he also put the obstacles into place with his imagination, just as much as he put the ice cream itself there. The ice cream was his desire, but he also imagined all the trouble that he could go through to get it. This is how we are with God, our God-given desires. We imagine that we're not worthy, 
We imagine less than what we actually desire just because we are afraid to commit to our real desire. Let's say we want a career that is satisfying and fulfilling and rewarding and pays well for working less hours, but instead we imagine how we can make the next buck. Or we even imagine going to endless interviews. Or we imagine not even getting the interviews. Does this sound familiar? And we do this for jobs we don't even want. Imagination creates. But your desire is already a given, so you can skip imagining going through the trouble. Go straight to deliberately imagining nothing but the fulfillment of your desire because there is not one single thing that you can do to become deserving or to become worthy. Like Neville said, we are all unworthy, but in God's eyes, he loves us anyway. Imagining the wish fulfilled brings about a union with that state, and during that union, you behave in keeping with your imaginal change. This shows you that an imaginal change will result in a change of behavior. Neville Goddard. He also goes on to say, however your ordinary imaginal alterations as you pass from one state to another state are not transformations because each of them is so rapidly succeeded by another in the reverse direction. But whenever one state grows so stable as to become your constant mood, your habitual attitude, then that habitual state defines your character and is a true transformation. How do you do it? Self-abandonment. That is the secret. You must abandon yourself mentally to your wish fulfilled in your love for that state. And in so doing, live in the new state and no more in the old state. You can't commit yourself to what you do not love. So the secret of self-commission is faith plus love. Neville Goddard. Basically, he's saying that it's pointless to try to manifest things that you don't really want. Now, every single journey through the manifest world of desires towards more spiritual desire is a natural one. Even when the Buddha left his wife and his newborn son to go find enlightenment, he did so because of a desire, nothing else, no other reason. Our desires actually take us all the way to understanding and realizing this union with our consciousness. Without this drive, we would not be born. Every time we release resistance, another level of consciousness is revealed to us. Neville says, imagine better than the best you know. All that there is is generated from consciousness, so if you look out into your world, or you flip through the news and you wonder how in the world can it be so bad? How can it be in such a state? Just look no further than to your own imagination. Desire got Isaac his specific wife. And desire got Buddha his enlightenment. There is no one thing that is better or worse than any other desire. It all is taking us the exact same place. Complete unity with our consciousness. You are every word within yourself. We create separation, loss, and victimization within our minds. And putting an end to this can only begin with our own self-realization and observing how our desires are made and fulfilled and how that is part of the divine process. It is the very first paragraph of the Tao to understand how we are one with our creation 
and how to detach from it and let go from the dependence of the creation at the same time. The projection of our minds make up the illusory world and then we believe that to be real. But there is no one out there that is separate from their own creation. It is all produced from the inside of us. Our job is to make the outside like the inside, that is, to become like God. We become like God by using love covers all transgressions and understanding that blessings bring more blessings and judgment basically keeps blessings away. And we become like God by remembering that we are one with the Creator and the creation and that the struggle is entirely made up in our imagination and by surrendering and trusting blindly. If you're trusting in your human power, yes, of course, you can fail and you can succeed. But if you let go and trust God's path, you cannot fail. Remember that you don't have to finagle the molecule exchanges in your lung walls. You just blindly trust that that will happen. Practice surrendering and trusting blindly because there is nothing you can do to have your desire or to prevent your desire. Doership does not belong to us. All that we can do is cause a delay by our own efforts. Happy manifesting, guys. I'll see you in my next video.